Okay, so tonight we're going to be picking up from where we left off in the Seder of the Aleph base. So we ended off after discussing the Aleph in a very succinct kind of way. Um, it took a lot of tzimtzum in order to kind of minimize how much we were talking about the Aleph. But tonight we're going to be talking about the letter base. Now, for Chazara, last week we saw the Aleph as this this capacity towards limitation within the infinite. So in a certain level, that's the first instantiation of Hashem's presence in this world that we're capable of speaking about. But at the same point, because it's such a lofty level and it's still an aspect of Ein Sof, so to speak, so the relationship that we have with the Aleph is one of Hafla'a, of Aleph being the Lashon of Pella, or Mafli La'asos, of Hishtomimus and Shtika. And Rav Kook describes that the only association, the only relationship we can actually have with the Aleph is one of Targum, is one of always already translating it into a secondary language, the non-primary language. So Aleph being the first building block is already reminding us that everything we talk about when we talk about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when we talk about Simpson, when we talk about Hashem's relationship with the world, is a level removed from Atzmusa Yisbarach. Nevertheless, there's a statement in the Zohar that Keser Ilah, the, the loftiest level of Keser, the loftiest level in the Seder of the Hishtalshalis that we're capable of speaking about, Ukam Hu It's considered as darkened, it's considered as black, with regards to what is above it, which means to say that the loftiest level, the keser, the beginning point of Hishtalshalus, the highest point of Ein Sof, on a certain level is simply the lowest part of something removed from us. Sort of like we were describing last week, that the koyach within the infinite, the capacity towards limitation within the infinite, is already the bottom part, the tzad hatzmol, from where the vav of the olive starts descending down, from that tchunah, that Rav Kook describes, the, the nature of diminishment that Ein Sof has. So, although we're talking about a minimization of Ein Sof, vis-a-vis where we're at as created beings, the Aleph itself is, is a total Pella. It, it's absolutely above, and it's absolutely removed. So the letter Bez is already going to be the attempt to try and grasp the Aleph. Like we spoke about in the first introductory shear, the Aleph base doesn't operate in a system of ilava alul, where there's one level, and then when you get to the next level, there's no relationship with the previous level. But rather, it's a siba atzmit. Each letter, like the Mara would tell us, is an essential cause of the next letter. And because it's an essential cause, it remains tied up with the next later letter in the Seder Hishtalshalus. So like we discussed in the first week, there's not so much an Aleph, Bez, a Gimel, a Dalet, a Hei, but there's one Aleph, and then there's two Alfin, and then there's three Alfin, to the point where you get to Tuf, which is the, the 400 Alfin. But even within the lowest level of the Aleph, Bez, at its Tachtis, at the Tuf, we still have the capacity to discover and uncover and disclose the Aleph that's hidden within it. So when we talk about the transition from Aleph to Bayes, what I'm only talking about Aleph remaining in its, you know, infinitude, we're actually talking about a more paradoxical and a more difficult question to answer, which is how does the Aleph, how does infinitude manifest within limitation? How does the Aleph find itself within the Bayes without either losing its 
infinitude of the Aleph and without negating the limitation of the base. Now, this is a question that the Maharal asks and that the Rishonim asks, specifically, how do we have Shnius coming from Achtus? How can we have duplicity? How can we have multiplicity coming out of unity? That's one of the more fundamental philosophical questions that Jewish thinkers have come to answer. We believe deeply in the unity of God, one of the Yud Gimel Ikrei Amuna. But at the same point, we believe in the Metzius of the world. And even those who want to claim the acosmic notion of the world, like in the writings of the Balatanya, according to certain interpreters of the Balatanya, nevertheless, any time that you want to read in the Balatanya that there's no mitzvah, that it's an acosmic reality, and that there's nothing but Ein Sof, the Balatanya is going to walk us back and remind us that it's even a level of kfira to deny the mitzvah of the world. So as Jews, we have to accept the mitzvah, the material world, as a mitzvah. But how do we understand the interrelationship between the Aleph, which is the infinite, and the Bays, which is the beginning or the instantiation or the inception point of duplicity? How do we understand how they can have a continued relationship without either losing either side of its strength? So here, Rav Cook is going to begin discussing the latter Bays, and what he's talking about here is really what the Kabbalists, what the Arizal, and what the Ramak would describe as Kalim. In terms of understanding the world through the outlook of the Jewish mystical thinkers, our Kabbalists, our Mikubalim, there's very often a simple dichotomy of materials that we can look at with regard to how the world operates. There's something called Orot, or Oros, which are going to be the spiritual lights. They're going to be the notion of non-limitation within the world, the notion of the Neshama vis-a-vis the Guf. Now, Ramchal and various other Mikubalim have stressed to us that the only reason that we utilize the mushal, the metaphor of light, is because on a certain level, at least according to their understanding, it is the least physical of all physical aspects. So light is something physical, but yet on the same point, it's intangible, at least according to the scientific methods that they were operating with at that point. So when we talk about Oros, we're not obviously talking about energy and we're not talking about any type of light, but we're talking about the way, the vehicle through which Hashem has decided to manifest in the world. And corresponding to those lights, we have a notion called Kalim, we have a notion of vessels. Now famously, the vessels are most well known from this traumatic experience of Shirata Kalim, the shattering of the vessels, which the Arizal describes, drawn from the Zohar and Jeraban and Jezuta. But nevertheless, we have this, you know, split dichotomy between the orot, the spiritual capacity of the world, and the kalim, the physical capacity of the world, or the limitating aspects that allow spirituality to settle into manageable sizes so that we can actually experience them. Now, orot, on a certain level, are Hashem's way of expressing himself to the world. It's the spirituality, it's the neshama. Kalim, on the other hand, are more of the virtual vessels that Hashem has created in order to mitigate the intensity of his light, in order to capture the light and then refract it in a way that is no longer so overwhelming. Because without the kalim, without vessels, the ore would be too strong and the presence of infinitude, the presence of Ein Sof would be too strong and there would not only not be Bechira, but there wouldn't even be the capacity for there to be a creation other than God. So the letter Bayes for Rav Cook is going to be the first inception point, the first birth of what we know of as Kalim. 
yet he's also going to lead us in an interesting direction, and I believe this is also taken from the Leshem, where Kalim are not so diametrically opposed to Orot, in the sense that we have this dichotomy or this dualistic vision of spirituality and physicality or infinitude and finite or unlimited and limitation or neshama and guf, but rather the interrelationship between the two of them is less of one of stark difference and more of a relationship where one becomes the other through a process of slowly but surely moving away from its primordial space and manifesting in more of a role of physicality. So, in other words, the kalim are not other than the light. They're not other than the oros, but the kalim themselves are a different type of manifestation of the orot themselves. To the extent that if a person penetrates and a person contemplates and a person utilizes the neshama hasichlis to understand the nature of limitation and contraction and, and suffering and smallness and and measurements of this world, if they penetrate it deeply enough, what they'll come to find is that the kalim are nothing but a veiled manifestation of the light itself, to the point that there is not this dualistic standpoint that the Ramchal and other Mikubalim came to fight so strongly against in Das Tunos, but rather it's a unity of only or in Sof that has the capacity to manifest itself either in the guise of Orot or in the guise of kalim. Now, where Rav Kook is going to be getting this from, where Leshem got this from, is really the Arizal and Shara Akudim. Now, in Shara Akudim, the Arizal and Eitz Chaim describes the first instantiation of, of Orot, uh, of Kalim, I'm sorry. He describes the first process of how Kalim come into being. And something profound is expressed there. You know, utilizing kind of spatial and temporal analogies, if you will, the Arizal describes this process or this dual process or this unified duality because really they're part and parcel of the same expression they're part and parcel of the same movement but because we're stuck in time and limited we have to perceive them through a duration where they appear different from one another so there's a process of hispashtut vihitzklalut hispashtut vihistalkut. there's egression there's something coming out of the infinite, moving down towards the world. And yet at the same point, that same expression is mistalek itself. It elevates itself back up. So when the Arizal is describing the process of the kalim building in Olam HaAkudim, in the bounded worlds of Akudim, he describes this process which is going to be found at every stage of the Seder Heshtalshalus, that there's a light, a pure light of Orot Kavyachal that comes out of Ein Sof, that comes out of the infinite, that comes out of Adam Kadmon, and that light then elevates itself back up. So it is expressed, and then immediately it regresses back up to its original space. But something happens, according to Arizal, where because the light left the space of infinity and it entered into the space of finitude or other than godliness, so there was a certain physicality, there was a certain manifestation that took place through the distance from Ahdus and there's a residue left over. The light that comes out from Ein Sof and returns back to Ein Sof, that remains the same light. But because this light came down and entered into a space of separateness or concealment from God, there was a certain engarbment, there was a certain physicality that took place to the light, and it remains on a certain level a little bit too coarse, a little bit too thick to return back to the infinite. 
Now that light, that coarse light, that orha gas that the Arizal describes is the first instantiation of Kalim. So we have something profound that the Arizal is telling us. He's telling us that the way Kalim are built is not that there's or, and then Hashem Kaviachal uses a different material of limitation or concealment to create a vessel, but rather the vessel itself is built off of the residual light of the or itself. So that if you penetrate deeply enough into the recesses of the Kalim, what you'll come to find is that they're nothing but crystallized aspects of light. And if a person conceptualizes this and davens on it and thinks about it and applies to their personal lives, we can find the the muscle in our own lives that what appears to be distant and what appears to be removed and distorted from our aspects of clarity and, and spirituality is nothing but a sedimented type of thickness that comes from the residual remainder of absent spirituality. So with that introduction, we're going to start with Rav Kook, because we're going to see again that Bayes, the first Kli, the first inception point of Kalim, is nothing but the removal of the Aleph. It's not that Hashem created a Bayes, but because Aleph is so lofty and so transcendent, in its place we find the only thing that we can relate to, which is the Bayes. So Rav Kook says as follows, he says, bias. So letter Bayes, when you spell it out, Bayes Yudtaf also spells out the word bias, which means a dwelling place, which means a home, which means that the light of the Aleph, the aura of the Aleph, that infinite light, that light that our only relationship with it is Hishtomimus, it needs a dwelling place. It needs a place to live in the world. Now, after we've completed the Aleph, and we now have at least a content that we can discuss, because again, we said that the Aleph is the Kayach HaGvul Bebilti Gvul, but beyond the Aleph, there's no discussion whatsoever. That Leis Machshava Tvisa Beklal, Afilu Beruusa Deliba, we have no relationship with Atzmusi Isparach. But Aleph is the first expression of Tochen. So Achareshi Yesh Tochen, after we have a notion of content, Sheyeshna Tsura Reshit, there's an original form. And again, here the Maharal, uh, the Rav Kook is utilizing language, Aristotelian language as expressed through the Rambam and then through the Maharal, most probably, of Tsura and Chomer, Tsura being spirituality and Chomer for, for lack of a, a full explication of the term being more of a physicalized manifestation in the world. After Shieshna Tsura Reshit, Harikan Tiferes Adam Lashevas Babayas. The grandeur, the beauty of the individual is that they sit in a house, meaning that Hashem doesn't want the Aleph to remain in its abstract transcendence, but rather the Tiferes for HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the creation of the world is Ratzah HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lios Lodira B'Tachtonim. That the Tiferes, the beauty that will come from existence is specifically when it manifests in Kalim, when we're able to relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu through Kalim themselves. Now we already need to prepare for ourselves a base kibble, a receptacle, a reception device, a house, a kli, a vessel that can contain within itself the tsuros hamitavot. These forms that are now, once they've been expressed through the aleph, are only going to continue to express themselves. That's a klagadol and kitver of kuk, that once something happens on the spiritual level, it's not going to stop unless there's an active vacancy placed in its place. Until there's a, a, an interruption or a disruption to the spiritual flow, that spiritual flow, that ore, will continue flowing forever. 
So the Aleph, even though it's the first instantiation of Tochen, it will continue to create more forms, Hatsuro Sametavot, which we now need a bias for. El Hamon HaChayel Habav to the vast chayel, to the vast strengths and to the vast forces that are now coming and flowing forth. The sichuch and the atima, here sichuch is meloshan schach, which means a covering, and atima is meloshan atum, which means a concealment. Now here Rav Kook is placing in two small words a profound disagreement amongst the Mekubalim with regards to the, nation of, the notion of tzimtzum, whether it was a tzichuch, a simple covering or a concealment of infinitude, or whether it was an atima, an actual constriction of infinitude. But we're not going to get too much into that discussion because it's not very clear from Rav Kook's writings, although there have been various attempts to, to explicate his notion of tzimtzum, it's not clear you know, I believe that Rav Yosef Avivi in his new writings probably does more for this sugya than anybody else, but I haven't gotten those farm yet, so it's not clear yet what Rav Kook wants to say, but he's here giving us the two tzadim of tzimtzum. One is that it's tzichuch, a covering, which means that the infinitude, the or in sof, is still underneath it, but it's simply covered and it's not truly removed. Or an atima, which means that it's an actual limitation, it's a closing off of that infinite light, which implies an actual siluk, an actual removal. These two ways of constriction, the covering or the limiting, which serve to ensure that the light in its actual form, meaning by the level of Aleph, the unlimited form, the base here is coming to make sure that the Aleph does not manifest in a way that is too overwhelming for creation. The Aleph's job, the Bez's job is to ensure that the Aleph does not reveal itself to the extent that it will nullify any capacity for there to be anything other than the Aleph. So the job of the Bez, the job of the Kli is to come and constrict the light, yet allow for the light to still be relevant and to still be clear through the act of understanding and penetrating the Kli. Heim heim ha-gormim shayivne. So here, I want to stop for a second and look at Rav Kook's language, because this is what we were discussing before in the name of the Arizal by Sharha Ekudim, and especially by the Leshem, who expresses this in various places, that the manifestation of the Kli is not some secondary job that Hashem does once he removes Or, but rather the revelation of the Or itself is the manifestation of the Kli. Meaning to say that before Hashem decided to create the world, we had no capacity to understand infinity. We had no capacity to understand what it meant for there to be a creator who had the capacity to create a world. But once Hashem has created the world, that act of creation itself is an act of limitation because now we have the aspect of relating to it. So the Kli, which is what allows for there to be a relationship with the infinite, is the same act of the removal of the Aleph itself. Or like the Ramak would say, and the Arizal expresses this in various places, that in Kabbalah, in terms of our understanding of the world, Ha-He'elem hu hagiloi. Again, Ha-He'elem hu hagiloi, the concealment is in and of itself the revelation, because when the light is too big, we have no relationship to it. So the act of concealing that light concurrently or simultaneously allows us to now engage with the light. So the helem, 
of something that's too overwhelming becomes vice versa or at the same moment the manifestation of the light in a way that we're capable of grasping it. So Rav Kook says something amazing here. He says the sichach and the atima, the constriction and the covering that the bays or that the kli tries to impart, heim heim ha-gormim They themselves are the cause for chomer, for physicality to manifest. It's not that it was a two-step process. It's a one-step process. The limitation is the manifestation. So when the Aleph enters into the base and it's concealed within this base kibul, so now we're already entering into the stage where Chomer is beginning to build, where a manifested world is beginning to be built, something that we can actually relate to. So now Rav Kook is going to discuss the shape of the base and the fact that the opening of the base is not facing the Aleph, but rather it's facing on the left side towards all the other um, osios that are coming. Pesichaso shal the opening of the house, the opening of the base, a nenomul ha'alef. It's not turned towards the alef. Lumatsasura ha'mufshata, towards that kind of removed and ungarbed form of the alef. Hakolela sakol bekirva, that contains everything within itself. Ki ela luma Rather, the base is focused towards the ruchushaba, the coming inheritance, the manifested aspects of, of existence, of atzilus, of riyah, of yetzira and asiya, of all limitation, ad kedekach, that it's talking about our ability to exist in this world of limitation as we speak now. All of that is coming from the left side of the base. The base is facing towards us because the purpose of the kli for of Cook and for the Arizal is not for the infinite, but rather for the finite to be able to manifest. Now, this, the letters, the coming inheritance that will come out of the Ospeis are limited enough so that we can actually begin to talk about them and so that we can actually begin to interact with them. Avim so now Rav Kook is looking at the letter Bez, and we'll just have a little diagram. Now he's talking about the two Mechitzot, the one on the top and the one on the bottom, and he's describing the thickness of them. And he wants to understand why the bottom of the Bez and why the top of the Bez are so thick. And for Rav Kook, he's describing really what the Arizal would call the Chalal HaPanui, the first instantiation of the Kli, that vacant space that Kav Yachal HaKadosh Baruch Hu left when he vacated his Or Ein Sof out of it, that Simpson that we're all so familiar with, that space is not simply a vacant space. God forbid, according to the Leshem, and I have the Leshem here, and I want to read inside just for a very quick moment to describe what the Leshem describes as this Chalal HaPanui. So he says as follows, Amnan oso hamakom, that place, that chalal, hinehu eno panui mamish. It's not actually empty, ubechinas rekani veheedar chas v'shalom, of emptiness and absence, God forbid. He ain rekani klal, because there's no emptiness in existence whatsoever. Kamosha kasuf harav hakadosh, moreno harav yosef kiktila, besefer ginos egos, chelak beis. There's no actual emptiness in the entirety of existence. So 
Amnan mashakaru osam b'shem makom, or the halal apanu, or this empty space, is because kihine sham hu shifas kocha yisparach hanosa eskola metzias tula. It's the expression of godliness that has the capacity to contain and carry within itself all of existence. And this is what the Arizal calls the Chalal HaPanui. So we see very explicitly that this first instantiation of the vessel is not an absence of godliness, God forbid, but rather it's a presence of godliness, the Kayach the capacity towards limitation of Rabbeinu Azriel that we discussed last week, is finally expressing itself now. So this base needs to have the proper boundaries that separate it from that infinitude. So avim v'chazakim heim ha-mechitzos ha-chotzatzos l'umas ha-ma'al v'hatachas. Thick are the partitions, thick are the barriers that separate between the on top of the bays and beneath the bays. Mima'al l'chol gvul, above the bays, on top of the base, before the tzimtzum, before the halal hapanui, you know, it's infinite. There's no manifestation, there's no limitation, it's out of our capacity to speak, and the base's job is to come and separate us from that. But now Rav Kook says a chiddush, and he goes on to say, and underneath all limitation, meaning the bottom of the base, it's also equal to on top of the gvul. Why? Because ein hamaal v'hatachas metziachsim le'erchehem ki ele b'makom shahagvulim sholtem sham. Because above and below have no absolute value except in places where there is limitation. So Rav Kuk is saying something profound, and it's a direct statement on a comment of the Arizal. He's saying that this base which comes to interrupt, which comes to separate us from the Or Ein Sof, from that unlimited manifestation of the Aleph so that we can begin to actually talk, so that we can begin to actually see duplicity in the world and multiplicity in the world and have Bechira, because Bez is Bechira. Bez is the ability to have the choice between one of two things, the ability to make a decision. When there's only unity, there's no room for a decision. The instantiation of multiplicity, of duplicity from the letter base, from the number two, from the not one, allows us now to choose between one or the other. So the job of the base is coming to build this safe house that protects us and allows us to live in the necessary space of limitation so that we can actually earn something, so that we can actually choose through our own volition to engage with godliness, as opposed to a, to a kafia which has no individualized or personal experience. So it's one thing to say that the base has to protect from on top of it, because we typically understand in terms of direction that the above is infinite. But what about below? What about below the halal? What about underneath this kli? So if Cook here is coming to say something to us where he's telling us that above and below the directional notions that we have with regards to spirituality and with regards to infinity and Hashem's presence in the world is not absolute. It's relative. Above and below is only relative to the space where there's already limitation. But in the place where we're not talking about limitation, where it's infinite and unlimited, so above and below, it doesn't matter. Hashem is present there no matter what. Like the Medrash says, Kashem Shakilu Sochala Kadush Baruchu Ba'a Megan Eden. 
the same way that the praise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes from the Nishamos of the Tzadikim in Gan Eden, Kain ba'em me nishmos harashaim b'gehenim. So too does the praise of God from the souls of the wicked come from Gehenna. Because once limitation is no longer shayach, once change or difference is no longer in the picture, there's no distinction between good and bad. It's beyond good and evil. It is the level of arich anpin, of ma'arich af, where there is no chova or schus, but rather it's a segula hapnimis that is above and beyond any ability of us to earn it or lose it. And Rav Kook here is explicitly building himself off of the Arizal. The Arizal in Heichel Adam Kadmon in Eitz Chaim expresses something profound. He says as follows, <clears throat> After the first simpson, After there's that vacant space and that empty air, that Hashem carved out this empty space, which for us is the base, which for us is the bias that now has the ability to experience Hashem's presence in the world without being nullified in it. He says that Avaaz Nimshach Min Haor Sof Kav Aleph Hashem drew forth a ray of infinite light back into that Chalal Yashar Min Haor, and it goes into this eagle, it goes into this Chalal, and it doesn't touch the bottom. And the Arizal goes on to say that the reason the presence of Hakadosh Baruch Hu in this world cannot touch the bottom, cannot touch the lower places of our lives, cannot touch the anxiety of our life, cannot touch the feelings of distance that we have, is because if the light of infinitude was able to touch the bottom of our experience and the experience of the world, so then for us there would be no difference between above and below. There would be no difference between Tov and Ra. So on a certain level there was an arrested development in the manifestation and the expression of the Kav, of Hashem's presence in the world, so that there remains a distinction between above and below. Now, the Rebbe Rashab in Tafresh Nuntes and the Leshem in Klalim Klal Yud Zion says something amazing. They say that La'asid Lavon, this is not something that's found in the Arizal. The Rebbe Rashab quotes various Mekubalim, but the Makoros and all the Svarim point us to other traditions within the Chabad tradition of interpreting the Arizal. But the Leshem says the same thing as well in Klal Yud Zion and Sefer Klalim where he says that the Asin Lavo, the Kav will be Yoreh to Tach that the line will Yoreh, the Kav and Sof will go down to the bottom of the Chalal, so that the bottom will become the top and the top will become the bottom. There will be no distinction between above and below, between Ganeden and Gehenim anymore, once Hashem reveals his infinitude. Now, Avada, our Bechira and our ability to earn that, will give us the ability to point to Hashem in the middle of that circle and say, we really earn this. But on an ontological level, there's really no distinction between above and below. So Rav Kook says that the base has to have a machitza blocking the or ein sof above the vessel and below the vessel because ein ha-ma'al v'hatachas mityachsim l'archeihem, above and below have no relationship to their their value, except where limitation is, is reigning there. And Rav Kook continues, going further in the base. Now again, Rav Kook is just reiterating what the purpose of the base is, what the purpose of the Kli is, to ensure that there is a standing that limitation is allowed to stand because Tola Aretz al Blima, the Zohar says. Tola Aretz al Blima means that existence, that limitation is always standing upon 
a yawning and murmuring sense of infinitude. And that if for one moment, like the Nefshachayim describes in Shardalad of Nefshachayim with regards to not learning for a moment, if for one moment HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided to be Masalik the Tzimtzum, Hashem decided to remove the veil of limitation, everything would revert not to destruction. It wouldn't be a cause and effect of Hashem removed and it would be destroyed. It would be null and void completely. So the base, the bias, the house, the protection that creates a, a fertile space for the olive to find manifestation is there to ensure that creation can manifest, is there to ensure that the infinitude of the olive, that the tzura hamufshatet of the olive, the unformed form of the olive doesn't find its way into the space of limitation, into the bias, via tashtashis kolatsuros, and to negate and ruin all of the forms. This is why the top of the base and the bottom of the base have to be so thick, because it takes strength, it takes a real courage, it takes a real koach from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that koach ha'gvul of tzimtzum, that he'elem ha'atzmi that the Rebbe Rashab spoke so much about, to the point that it's a greater manifestation of Hashem to manifest in limitation than it is to manifest in unlimitedness. Chatziva v'chazaka, it has to be present and strong. Kimin ma'aziva. It has to be, I asked some people how to translate ma'aziva, but I believe the way I'm translating it is as a caulking, as, as a certain cementing between the wall and the ceiling, as discussed in Masech Sukkah. It has to be something that protects the leakage of the aleph, the leakage of Orin Sof back into the space of limitation. Amnan, however, and here Rav Kook is now going to be asking about a different part of the aleph, which is the thinner side. Because the Aleph is going to be over here, and Rav Kook is going to be asking and trying to understand why this Mechitza is thinner than the thick Mechitza on top and the bottom. So Rav Kook goes on and he says, We're also not only coming to create a limit or a vessel that separates between the infinite light above and below the vessel, but we're also coming to limit the expression of the Aleph within the world itself. And he goes on to say, So here of Kok is saying, yes, we have to create a limitation. Yes, there has to be a Simpson. Yes, there has to be a vacancy, a vacant space that's not truly vacant or empty that allows for creation to exist in an apparent independence from the infinite light that subsumes it and exists it and surrounds it and fills it and is mamala and it is so vivid. But at the same point, as we know from the Ariza, we also have a Kav. We have a Kav Einsof, meaning there has to be somewhat of a relationship between the Aleph and the Bays for the Bays to mean anything whatsoever. Because it's one thing for Hashem to create a base or the bias or the cleave that entirely blocks out the Orient Sof. And to create a world that is devoid of infinitude, that is entirely devoid of Hashem's relationship with it, God forbid. But here we're trying to understand the Pella, the paradoxical space of Raza de Mehemnusa, of how do we limit the Aleph, yet still maintain a direct relationship with the Aleph, like we spoke about last week. That's the Pella. 
it's not a chiddush to say that Hashem was once the Aleph and now he's the Beis and we don't have Shaykhus to the Aleph anymore. A lot of religions, a lot of philosophers have come and said such things. What we're trying to do, the secret of faith, which means that at the end of the day, it's beyond the capacity of intellectual knowledge, but rooted in a faith that's a learned ignorance on a certain level. We're trying to understand how we can have our cake and eat it too, how we can have the unlimited, yet at the same point have limitation, but the unlimited doesn't lose any of its capacity to be unlimited, and limitation doesn't lose any of its capacity to be limited. So how can we have ein v'yesh, limit and non-limit, interacting as one? So for Rav Kook here, it means that the base still has to allow for a certain leakage, a certain ray, a certain presence of the Aleph within the space of the base, so that the base doesn't just become this you know, dungeon that blocks us from Orin Sof, but rather a vessel that allows us to experience Orin Sof in a clearer way. So Rav Kook goes on and says, Now, once we have this base, what it does is it does not allow the Aleph to manifest itself in its essential existence, in its essential form. And we also need a thin wall to allow us to interact with the minimized and diminished light of the Aleph that we have access to. That's still too big for us. Even when Hashem only returns back a Kav, even when Hashem says, I will take away 99% of the infinitude and I will leave 1% of the infinite. Even that 1%, so to speak, is too strong for us to experience without a mechitza daka, a thin barrier, a thin partition. That blocks and interrupts between even this weakened form of the Aleph that it should not enter into a place where it doesn't have any place engaging with, so that we still have access to limitation. Hatsiur, says Rav Kook, the image of the Aleph, Asher Yishar Beta'aluma, that remains in concealment and in hiddenness. The the Aleph that remains in concealment, because it's not, God forbid, removed. It's simply contained. That remains in Ta'aluma, in hiddenness. In the depth of silence, beyond voice, beyond speech, beyond Aleph base, beyond the instantiation of language. Here Rav Kook is just showing his Bakias and his Gaonis that even when he's Osek in Reish Milin, he also has his mind in the Gemara and Baba Basra, I believe it's on Daf Bezam and Aleph, where it talks about a Mesipas between, between properties, which means a small partition of pegs. Parenthetically, Betzal Naor said, I believe, that his introduction to the new Rav Kook sitter that he introduced at Lincoln Square Synagogue, where he described something he heard from Rav Tzvi Yehuda, where Rav Kook said the same tzav 
the same command, the same or, the same enlightenment, the same soul spark that allowed Rav Kook to write Reish Milin, which according to Rav Yehuda was his deepest sefer, was also what drove Rav Kook to write Halacha Brura, which is also what drove Rav Kook to engage in the minutia of Halacha, of Hariu Hashem Kol Haaretz, which is Rosh Tevos Halacha. And so we have just a remez here that in the midst of Rav Kook describing in this poetic, strange way, the manifestation of vessels that allow for a separation between infinity and finitude, or unlimited and limited, or overwhelmingness and manageability, he's still utilizing terms from Chazal in a very specific sugya. Mechitza daka, a very thin barrier. Mibli lachtor el hagvulim hatzrichem So as not to negate the barriers and the partitions and the limitations and the concealments that need to be revealed. Lo mimaal velomitachas l'chol hagvulim hu atochen hamitalim ba'omek ha'yisod ha'avyati. It's not above or below existence where the tochen hametalim, the concealed essence, exists in its secret depths. It's not above or below the vessel. It's not above or below the bays that the olive still exists, but rather, Rav Kook is saying here something amazing. He's saying, don't think for a second that because of the limitation of the bays, that the Aleph doesn't have presence anymore, that it's only above the partition of the bays or below the partition of the bays, but rather, the concealed content that exists in the depths and the secrets of existence it exists, it's it fills the worlds. It's not the same revelation as it was before the bays. Obviously, the Aleph is now mitigated and veiled in the bays and mitlabesh in the bays, wearing it like a garment so that all you see is the garment. Yet it's still present, not above and below so that we can look up to Hashem or look down to Hashem, but rather it's there present in each and every level of existence. But it's blocked. There's an ikuv, there's a, a thin partition that blocks us from experiencing and revealing to ourselves the presence of the infinite. And a hedge of roses, a hedge of lilies, blocks it from overriding its limitations. And Rav Kook ends with a beautiful Pasuk and Shirashirim, which Rav Hillel Zaitlin Hashem Yim Kamdomo stressed is in his Safran Shal Yechidin. Why does Rav Kook always end his writings with a Pasuk? Rav Kook doesn't quote many sources. Although in Pinkas Katan, in, in Metzias Katan, in the new writings, and in Einayah, there's something profound about Rav Kook that you see him really being mafalpel with other sources. In his more mature writings, especially after he came to Eretz Yisrael, and in Reish Milin, even though it was written in B'chutz Laretz, there's no clear source work, and it takes a lot of work to uncover where the sources are. The Eish Shreira, the black fire that enlivens Rav Kook's white fire. But here Rav Kook is ending with a Pasuk that Rapil Zeitlin stresses that the reason Rav Kook ends his teachings with Psukim is to show that everything I've just stressed in the poetic, the mystical, the, the, the shiri, the song manifestation of my soul is rooted in Torah Shabbat is rooted in a Pasuk, and he can prove it to you. And Rav Kook ends this piece with the Beis, with the Pasuk from Shir HaShirim, Betnecha Aramaschitim Suga B'Shoshanim, describing the partition of roses, the limitation of roses, this barrier that is not one, this concealment that is not one, this kli that is both kli and not kli, that is both a light and a vessel in one, 
which allows us to penetrate and contemplate enough to realize that the duality that we perceive between the Aleph and the Beis, the Achdus and the Shnius, is nothing but a difference in manifestation and not, God forbid, a difference in kind. And as we'll see next week, Bezra Hashem with Os Gimel, now we have the Koyach HaGvul of Os Aleph, the first or in Sof. And now we have the Chalal, now we have the Tzimtzum, this vessel that the Beis represents. And next week, Bezra Hashem with the Gimel, we're going to be getting into actually how we interact with everything afterwards, everything after the Aleph and Beis, after, after HaKadosh Baruch Hu creates the world with Or and Sof and decides to limit it. Um, so we'll discuss the Gimel next week, Bezra Hashem. Okay, so tonight we're going to be continuing in the Aleph Beis with Rav Kook with Os Gimel. Now, just like with Os Aleph and Os Beis, we're going to need a little bit of an introduction of sorts to properly understand what Rav Kook is coming to do with the Os Gimel. Now, as an introduction to the introduction, I guess, Gimel is the first letter where singularity opens up to multiplicity. Um, as we'll see, the, the Os Aleph represented, as we spoke about, the Koyach HaGvul, Bebilti Gvul, the original capacity within the infinite to manifest infinitude. But as we stress from the Lashem and from Rav Kook and from Rabbeinu Azriel and from the Arizal and from all of our Tzadikim, the Koyach HaGvul, in spite of the fact that it's limited, Klape in Sof itself, it still has the valence, it still has the nature of infinitude because it's so lofty, it's the lowest aspect, if you will, of the infinite. So klape us, vis-a-vis our perception, it's the loftiest place. So although Aleph is the first inception point of counting or something that can be captured in number or even in the realization that we can't truly grasp it with language, which is still a certain level of language, although a non-linguistic form of language, rather a wondrous type of expression, the Pella of the Aleph, in spite of that, it's still infinite, Klapeos. Now, the Os Beis, as we discussed last week, is the first instantiation, the first inception point, the first manifestation of the Kli, of the Chalal HaPanui, of the vacant space, wherein and in which the Kayach HaGvul, the capacity towards limitation, can begin to manifest. And we spent some time discussing what Rav Kook describes as the different partitions of the Ospeis, the partition on top and the partition on the bottom, which need to be strong in order to block out the Orin Sof, as well as the thin parochas, if you will, the thin line on the right side of the Ospeis, which is there to ensure that even the remaining light that enters into the space of existence not be strong enough to the point that it overwhelms the Kalim themselves. But as it stands, the Ospeis is simply the preparation for Kalim. The Ospeis is not a Kli itself. It's the, the beginning of multiplicity, the entry point away from Aleph into the space of the many, into the space of limitation, into the space of duality and duplicity and Klipa and Shvira and all the things that we associate with Shnios or, or duality in the world. Now the Os Gimel, if the Os Beis is the potential of the Kli, is the Chalal HaPanui, the space of the vessels, then Os Gimel is going to be the vessels themselves. And, and here it's important that we stop for a second to understand what the vessels actually are. Last week we spoke about how the vessels are nothing but the residual lights themselves that have kind of contracted themselves and congealed into a certain remainder that can no longer return back to the infinite source. 
But here we're going to be talking about real kalim, kalim that actually begin to be meaningful within the system of the Ariza, within the system of the Mikubalim, in terms of being the corollary or the oppositional factor vis-a-vis the Orod. So we have Orod and we have kalim, but by the Osgimel we're going to start actually finding kalim doing their job properly, not still in the space of kind of the paradoxical being both a Kli and not a Kli. In Osgimel, we're actually going to find a, a physical Kli, the, the manifestation of vessels. Now, here we have to come on to the major question that the Arizal asks in the beginning of Eitz Chaim in Shari Gulim Biyoshar, and he also deals with it in Shara Klalim in Rav Chaim Vital's compilation of his notes. But the simple question is, why did Hashem create the world? Right, so we we know how Hashem created the world from Eitzchayim. We know that it was through Tzimtzum, through this paradoxical act of contraction, that was for the sake of disclosure. But the question is why, meaning from the point that Hashem allows us, so to speak, to try and understand the the impenetrable will of the divine, the Kad Salat Biruusa, as the Zohar describes it, this irrational, unconscious will of godliness that arises out of nowhere, this kind of autogenesis that is not inspired by any external inspiration, by any external factor, but rather arises from within itself through the inner sha'ashua, through the inner movement, this josians, if you will, this movement back and forth to and fro within the individual to the point that it's ole me'atzmo, umine ubei kavyachol, as the svarim tell us, Hashem creates the world without any secondary cause of his will. So here we have to try and understand why Hashem did it. And the Arizal offers two answers. The Arizal offers one answer it is described in Igulim Viyoshar as being Hashem, so to speak, has certain capacities and potentia, has certain shemos, has certain, certain to'arim, certain ways that he wants to interact with human beings through the aspect of malchus, of kingship, through the aspect of rachamim, through mercy, um, through the aspect of fear and judgment and, and fairness. Hashem, so to speak, wants to be able to interact with his children, wants to be able to interact in the world through all of these different valences and veils and guises and facades that a Kaddish Baruch Hu has the capacity to be mislabation. And the Arizal says, based on the Zohar and Parshas Bo, that the purpose of the creation of the world is in order for the world to know Hashem through all those valences, through all those different forms and manifestations and shemot and names and particular modes of governance that Hashem interacts with the world through. So in order for Hashem to do that, he needed to create a world, because ein melech am, there is no king without a nation, and without otherness, without separation, without differentiation, there would have been no place for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to interact and play this game of being. So the Arizal and Igulim Biosha describes the fundamental purpose, the why of creation is so that HaKadosh Baruch Hu could fully manifest himself, and the Ramak and the Rambam and and the Rebbe Rashab in, in Hemshech Samechvav deal at length with the theological and philosophical difficulties of such an idea of implying that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is chaser kavyachol, that he lacks something without being fully manifested and present. But that as it may, we're deeply aware of the fact that Hashem wanted, so to speak, to reveal himself in the world in order that the Jewish people should recognize him. Later on in Eitzchayim and Shah HaKlalim, the Arizal says something else. The Arizal says a more familiar idea that we're familiar with, which is that the reason Hashem created the world was because of Chokatov Lahetiv, 
that the pure nature of good, the pure essence of good is to do good for other people. And the truest form of good is for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be able to be mashpia, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be able to express his goodness and his capacity towards goodness to creatures other than him. So Hashem, so to speak, created the world in order to be mashpia tova on a person. And here the Ramchal becomes very important because the idea in the Ramchal is that in order for human beings and creation to receive the good in its fullest form, to receive the good in its fullest capacity, they need to be able to do it through their own volition. Based on a Gemara in the Yerushalmi, which describes the production of certain plants that up to a certain year are facing their mother plant. And then at the point of maturity, that plant turns away from its mother. And the Gemara has a lush on there where it says that from here we learn that a person who receives a gift, an act of grace from another person without truly deserving it, is embarrassed to look the other person in the face. That on a certain psychological level, on an anthropomorphic psychological level, Hashem understood that human beings need to earn through their own volition, through their own bechira, through their own free will, the good that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has prepared for us. And therefore, in order to ensure that human beings have the capacity towards choice, towards bechira, like we spoke about last week, that there is no bechira without a base. There is no bechira without choosing one or the other and making a difficult decision. Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to apply a certain level of concealment and differentiation and separation so that human beings will operate within the necessary concealment, the necessary hester, so that the choices that they make are difficult enough to be ola as if they were our own choices. So according to the Arizal and Shara Kalim, we have a secondary reason for the creation of the world, which is that the good that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to give over to human beings is one that is contingent on concealment. And this is where the Kalim really come into play, that in order for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to fully carry out the plan, the original plan, um, the first inception of the thought of God, if you will, of creation, there needs to be the necessary mechanisms of concealment so that the individual can pierce those veils and choose their own volition through the hester and the hastir astir and the concealment and the, and the double concealment to still choose in spite of it all to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the Ramchal makes a big asek out of this in his Perush on Otsar Shaim. He brings up the fact that the Arizal brings down two different reasons. The first reason, as we discussed in Igulim Viyoshar and Eitzchayim, is going to be that in order for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be fully known in all of his potential, there needs to be others. There needs to be an Am that is able to be Makabel the Melech. And in Shah HaKlalim, what seems to be a Machlokes, according to some people, which is that the reason Hashem created the world is Kichokatov Lehetiv, that the greatest form of good is a good that can be earned. And in order for human beings to earn it and not be overwhelmed by the explicit presence of God, there needs to be a necessary form of concealment. So the Ramchal in his parish on Otsar's Chaim in the back of Ginze Ramchal, put out by Rav Yosef Spinner and Rav Chaim Friedlander in the green volumes, the Ramchal quotes both reasons, and he says the main Iker reason is the second reason, which means Kichol Katov Lehetiv. And for the Ramchal, that's one of the fundamental bedrocks and foundation stones or even shesiot of his entire system, which is basically that all concealment, all hester, all period, all secondness, all duality, all distortion, all suffering, all personal suffering is all for the sake of eventually revealing the greatness of the choice that we made in history to still 
still believe in God in spite of it all. And in the future, Be'ezra Sashem, we will, we will receive a, a gift of tenfold the amount that we would have received had we not had to choose. For Rav Kook, as someone who fully and fundamentally follows the Shitos of the Ramchal, at least according to Rav David Kohn the Nazir in the back section of Kola Nevua, the Nazir stresses at length how Rav Kook simply claimed to spread out or explicate the right of the Ramchal. Rav Kook sees the formation of Kalim, this first instantiation, this first inception point of actual vessels that will now conceal the light of unity, that will conceal the Pela Elyon. Rav Kook sees this as a purposeful act, a, a purposeful minimization and concealment of divinity in the world for the sole fact that human beings need to earn it and reveal and disclose a deeper level of Kedusha and a deeper level of Amuna. All Hester, all Kalim, all containment, all limitation, and as a result of that, the symptoms that come from there, which are the suffering, and which are the pain, and which are the, the, the Sveikos, and the Bilbulim, and the anxiety that every individual experiences throughout history. The entire purpose of all of that is so that human beings can earn the good that they deserve, which in the future will be revealed to be the greatest level of good unimaginably greater than good that would have been exposed had there not been Bechira. And this is the foundation point for Rav Kook in the letter Gimel, that the process into actual Kalim, the process into concealment, appears at first glance to be a descent from unity. It appears at first glance to be a traumatic fall away from the clarity and the unity of godliness before the creation of the world. But in reality, when a person penetrates the ideas enough, they recognize that it is It is a shvira al It is a traumatic break in order that the person repair themselves, in order that the person work through their issues and eventually come to find their experience to be one of greater intensity, greater severity, greater veracity, and greater connection and dveikas takadish baruchu. That without the vessels, without concealment, without Hester, without gullus, there would have been no capacity to touch this level. One of my favorite teachings is brought down from the Balhatanya in the name of the Balshemtov on the Pasuk of Kain Bakodesh Chazi Sicha Lira the song made famous by the Admore Chabad. And the Balatanya says something nifla in a few words. He says, Kain Bakodesh Chazi Sicha, that so too in the time of the Besamikdash we should perceive you. The Balatanya reads it as Halavai Shabizman Habitamikdash Kayim. Zochim liros begalos. Halavai, it should only be that we should be zochet to grasp you when the Beis HaMikdash is built on the same level that we were capable of grasping you in the time of Galus. That there is a certain necessity, a certain intensification and potentiation of the religious experience, dafka in the makom of darkness, daika, as Rabbi Nachman would say, afal pikein, as Rabbi Nachman would say, specifically, primarily in the spaces of concealment and distance, that's where a person has to find HaKadosh Baruch And as we'll see, this is all deeply connected to the letter Gimel. We're going to read Rav Kook now. The Lashon in Os Gimel is very beautiful. It's a little bit clearer than Os Aleph and Bez. And we're going to stop at certain points where it appears to me, at least, that Rav Kook is utilizing external sources to kind of build his interpretation of the Os Gimel. Oskimel goes as follows, and, and the words of Rav Kook should, should awaken that place in us that can only be awoken through the words of the tzaddik like Rav Kook.
אחרי שבאו התוכנים של האהביות לגבולם. Now that the content, now that the content of existence, the content of beings in existence, all the different things, the objects, the subjects, and, and when Rav Kook says this, it's important not to get caught up in the poetic and even philosophical language of haviyot l'gvulam, of existence into its limitation. What Rav Kook means when he says the, the coming of being and existence into limitation, he's talking about each of us. He's talking about each of us in our day-to-day lives, each Jewish neshama and its experiences, the ups, the downs, the positive, the negative, the sveikos, the vadai, the anxiety, the amuna, the bitachon, the shalom bias, the, the raising children, the parnasa issues, the experience of gullus. He's talking about every single aspect that the Jewish person will find themselves in. So these teachings, although the poetic nature of them calls for a certain klaliyut, a certain expansive and universal interpretation, especially when Rav Kook is writing in Dulles and trying to find that salve for his neshama, trying to find the relief to his anxiety, kavyachol, it's important that we also try and apply, at least according to my humble opinion, that we try and apply some of these teachings to our own psychological mindsets as well. After existence and being has found its way into limitation through the Os Aleph and through the Os Beis, the scales are weighed one against the other. Now here Rav Kook is describing something of a dialectical process which many interpreters of Rav Kook have seen, obviously not in the guise of Hegel's dialectic, but in, in a way that transcends and, and sort of elevates Hegel's dialectic. Hegel was not a friend of the Jews. Hegel couldn't truly understand the fact that we couldn't fully grasp HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He felt that that was a bad faith, so to speak, that any faith that can't fully seize and grasp what it is that they believe in, according to Hegel's dialectical theory, is going to be considered you know, a, a bad faith. And he describes the faith of Abraham as one that is perpetually deferring HaKadosh Baruch Hu, always saying that we can't quite grasp it. And, and Lo Yodea Manitznave, he, he didn't know what he was prophesizing at that moment, but if we look back at Rav Kook and Osalif, we see that that's very explicit what Rav Kook is trying to say. The godless of Am Yisrael, the godless of Klai Yisrael is that we are deeply aware that we can't fully grasp HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that all of our language, all of our capacity to understand Hashem is dafka through Targum. So Hegel, in his, in his negative statements about the Jewish faith and Avraham Avinu's faith, is, is in fact actually reasserting the value of our faith, in my opinion. So here, Rav Kook is saying that the weights are, are measured one against the other. And the existence of judgment and fairness. That returns... Action for action, mida kenegad mina, in a form of judgment that repays the actions done, that hanhaga, that ability of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to create a space in the world where there's judgment and where my actions will be responded to with a like action of, of tov vira, of good and bad, of scharva onesh, of reward and punishment, of being held responsible of being responsible for our actions, that is what is slowly now coming into being with the Oskimo. Now, Rav Kook, in, when he uses the Lashon of Ne'erachu HaMeshkalem Elu Keneged Elu, he's utilizing a, a very particular imagery of the scales. Now, if we look in the Tzafedetz Niusa, one of the fundamental Mishnos, really, of the Zohar, of Kabbalah, now the beginning, the beginning Mishnah of Tzafedetz Niusa reads as follows, Tana, Tzafedetz Niusa, it's taught, 
that the book of concealment, the book of modesty, the book that reveals that the entire essence of our faith is a faith of modesty that can't fully be revealed, Safra the Shakil bin Miskala. It is a book that is weighed. It is a book that is measured on weights. And the Safra this Nusa goes on to say, Tana, it, it, it's written in the Mishnah, until the point that there was no scales, there was no face-to-face experience. And the Vilna Gon, in one of his most famous svarim, which is his parish on Safra Ditzniusa, the Vilna Gon stresses in numerous places that these mishkalim, this mitkala, mitkala is the Aramaic translation of a mishkal, which is a weight, this mishkal is the fact that a Kaddish Baruch Hu created in the world a series of opposites, one side of the scale versus the other side of the scale, tov versus ra, concealment versus revelation, light versus darkness, the binary oppositions through which the entirety of existence operates. And until this mishkala, until this mitkala, until this mishkala, until this weight was set up, there was no mitzias of mishpat. There was no ability for a person to be bocher. The kalim had not been built yet so as to secure the necessary level of limitation so that choice is actually choice. And so Rav Kook here is coming to say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu places this mishkala, HaKadosh Baruch Hu places this weight within the world. And now that this weight is within the world, Hashem has the ability to be gomel gmul, which is meloshon gimel, that gmul, which means repayment for our actions, is the same language as the os gimel. HaKadosh Baruch Hu can now operate the world on a level of mishpat, on a level of starva onesh, which again, only deepens our experience. Gam yitair, if Kuk continues, the os gimel also describes she'elu asher hayu kiyonkim mishteha'im, that those who were in the Bechina, in the mushal of those who were nursing from their mothers, which again is connected to the Os Gimel, meaning those who were still nursing from their source, those who were still deeply connected at the stage of infancy when the next level of existence is too young, too immature to actually stand on its own, because it would be destroyed, because it would, overbecome, it would be overcome by Hester. So the child needs to nurse. The child is not independent yet. It's still dependent on its source. The Metzias, which is still connected to the foundation that gives it life from the beginning of creation. Meaning, Rav Kook is saying here that at this point, the Os Gimel, Kalim, separation, the olam, melashon he'elem, the world from the language of he'elem and concealment, has not yet fully manifested into a place of maturity to stand on its own. That until now, until the os gimel, we were still nursing from our mothers. We were still dependently connected. We were back to back, so to speak, achor ba'achor, connected in a deep way, yet embarrassed to look our source in the face, embarrassed to have a face-to-face relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, like the Tzafar Ditznusa says. Rav Kook goes on to say that over here in the Oskimel, they wean themselves off. That Avram Avinu makes a, a celebration on the day that Yitzchak is able to wean off of his hashpa'a. That it's one thing to be dependent on the parent, dependent on the spiritual source. It's another thing to separate oneself from the spiritual source and then return 
face to face. We learn this by the Kavanos of Purim with the Nesira, that Dafka Bismana Hester, Dafka Bisman of the surgical separation between the parent and the child from that in de- that dependent back to back relationship. Dafka there we have the ability to create a deeper relationship that comes from volition and that comes from a deeper level of the soul, which is why um, the Rebbe of Baruch used to say that a remez to Purim in the Torah is in the Pasuk of Bayom Higamal Es Yitzchak. Higamal is Osios Megillah. Because Dafkan Purim, we see in the Kavanos that there's an Asira, that the Jewish people are sleeping. And we lost that back-to-back dependency in order to re-enter into a relationship through our own will without kfiyah to return face-to-face through our own volition, to choose it and to reveal a deeper level of Kedusha. So over here, of Cook says, by the Oskimel, Negamlu v'na'asu omdim betochen miyuchad atzmam, that the kalim and existence are now weaned off of their original source of infinitude, and now they're able to stand on their own. Mitgadlim metuch yusam ha'idei tenuasam ha'atzmet ha'mechuvenet. And existence, if you will, and again, it's important to know that Rav Kook is not claiming, God forbid, that existence is now separate from God. What he's claiming is that this is the entrance, this is the entry into the place where God conceals his existence. So it's still present, the tzimtzum is lav kipshuto. Even if you say the tzimtzum is kipshuto, it's lav kipshuto, like the Lashem shows us. Even if you want to say it's an absolute removal, it's still not an absolute removal, like Rabbi Nachman teaches us in Torah Samach by El Paro, that at the end of the day, all we have is Amuna and Shtika, and we're the Ivriim who cross over this paradoxical question. That here, now we have the ability for existence to grow on its own. Megadlim metochiusam, they grow out of themselves. Ayudei tenu asam ha'atzmit ha'mechuvenet. An essential and self-sufficient act. Atzmiut personality no longer dependent on the sources of our youth, no longer dependent on our parents, on Kedusha, on, on things being absolute. But rather now in the space of Suffolk, we actually have the ability to turn and make the decision on our own, an essential decision. And here of Cook says that the purpose of the separation is not, God forbid, for an essential separation, but rather so that the individualized and now independent creature, the independent individual, the person who is no longer overwhelmed by the presence of the parents, by the presence of God, by the presence of Kedusha, but now lives in a world of suffolk and, and self and ego and all the different vistitudes of ego and all of the different concealments and distortions that we live with, now we have the ability to draw forth from a deeper level of Ein Sof. We have a deeper ability to draw from the deepest place within ourselves a connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Mechayim HaRoshim, from a place higher than the Ospeis, from the Aleph itself, Kav Yachol. Romim, Rav Kook says, from the lofty heights. Me'iloi Hadargos. And here Rav Kook is now going to get into the tochin, into the shape of the Os Gimel, and, and it's Kedai to do a short introduction because this is going to be a recurring theme in the way that Rav Kook shows us the Osios. Based on our Mekubalim and even based on Chazal in numerous places, the impression is that the Osios themselves are simply built on the connections between Vavs and Yuds. Vav being a line or a kav or a ray, and the Yud being a point. Now the point and the ray being the two simplest modes of geographic space and diagramic space, 
these serve as the basic building blocks. But for Rav Kook, it's not only a geographic or an architectonic shape, but rather it, it, it's endowed with a certain spiritual capacity that the Vav represents a hamshacha, a, a kav, a connection, the vaveha amudim, a, a connection to something from one level to another. So it already represents relationality or the relationship between one thing and the other. The yud, on the other hand, in its self-containment, the smallest point on a graph, the point which contains the all, which in its minusculality, in its minimal nature, contains everything within its infinite, infinitesimal infinitude, within the smallest irreducible place. So the vav and the yud represent, on a certain level for Rav Kook, different manifestations of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. The vav is more of a contained connection between explicit levels, and the yud is where the levels are all contained prior to their actual manifestation. So this is going to be an introduction that we're going to go over in numerous places because most of the letters are going to have this relationship that Rav Kook sees between the vav part of the letter and the yud part of the letter, on the, on the yud part of the letter. From the loftiest level to the lowest, from the loftiest space of creation, from the Aleph, from the Pela Elyon, from the Kayach HaGvul, Bebilti Gvul, existence has lowered itself, has descended, to their bottom, Existence has lowered itself like the image of the Vav of the Os Gimel that goes from the top to the bottom. V'shiflus ha-tachtiyut. And at the lowest, degraded, lowest level of the Os, b'makom asher yitz'aru v'yechshachu ha-inyanim ha-muzrachim b'midasam ha-yoter mitzumtzama. In the place where the enlightened and radiant aspects of spirituality, yitz'aru, Yud, Sadi, Ayin, Resh, Vav, which means Atsur, which means stops, but also means Tsar. Because the manifestation of spirituality into physicality, the limitation of a Kaddush Baruch Hu's presence for Rav Kook, is both an act of stopping and containment, and at once an act of Tsar, when a pers- an, an act of pain, of an inner pain, but a pain that's necessary, a pain that's necessary for growth, the, the gmul, the weaning away from the mother, the movement from dependency into independency, from, from being con- consumed by the sense that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is everywhere and everything and that everything is good, and entering into that lower space of doubting that, and sveikos, and a lack of amuna and all the difficulties that we find in that place. A person now stops and they also experience a tsar. And a person who reads Rav Kook's Chadarav, his personal journals, will see all over the place this tsar, this pain that Rav Kook both saw as painful and fundamentally necessary for the birth process of any spiritual growth. That in this place, in the Gimel, those, lightened, those enlightened and radiant objects are now stopping and becoming darker in their most contained hayoter mitzumtzama, yachel haribui hamispari b'tsurasa hamugvala. Here, numerical multiplicity takes root. We're no longer dealing with two. We're no longer dealing with one. Now we're dealing with three. 
Now we're dealing with a, a number that represents its own territory. Three is a chazaka. Shin is, according to the Maharal, the, the highest level right before pure separation of the Ostaf. Three is already difficult to identify the unified source within it. Two is one thing, because as we said, the Ostbeis is still contained within infinitude. The Ostbeis is still at the level prior to actual manifestation of limit. But here in the Osgimel, we now begin to find three, which is no longer containable, which is no longer explicitly unified. And we see the entrance of Haribui Hamispari Hamugvala, the lowest level of numerical multiplicity. Because again, three is still the lowest number of it, but from three and onwards, and we'll see this throughout in Rivkuk, from three and onwards, numbers mean something different. One and two is one thing, three and onwards is different because there you're already dealing with a certain riboy that comes with Kalim. The three here is explicit in the Arizal and in Eitzchayim that everything in the world operates according to three. We have Chesed, Din, and Rachamim. We have Yemin small and emsa. We have Ish, Isha, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We have Shacharis, Minchan, Mara. We have Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. We have Kohanim, Levian, and Yisraelim. We have Yisrael, Yishmael, and Edom. We have the three Batei Mikdashim. We have, we have, we have Tanakh. We have Torah, Nevi'em, and Ksuvim, and the list goes on and on. And we have Chachma, Bin, and Das. And everything in the world is now contained in three. And that's where the concealment comes from. Because in reality, the three is really only two, which is only one. But as we'll see, that comes later on. But at this point in Gimel, where the Kalim begin to manifest, it's difficult to find that. The numerical multiplicity in its limited form. A number that represents the fact that in the future, we will come onto numbers that will no longer have the explicit presence of unity in them. A person can find tough. A person can find 400 and doubt that there's the Aleph there. But again, as we said in the beginning of the introduction of Tidishirim, that through the Amunah that the Baal Shem Tov infuses into the Osios, it's important to remember that Tuf is nothing but the iteration of 400 Alephs. But still, once we enter into the space of multiplicity for Rav Kuk, we're talking about a place where in the future, as we move on from Dalit to Hey to Vav, Bechule, Bechule, so we're already entering into a space where unity is no longer apparent, which is why, as we'll see, Bezra Hashem, when we get to the Tagen part, the Tagen are those hooks that connect the black letter to the infinite space of the white space. Dafka the Osgimel is the first level, let, letter that needs a Tag, because Dafka the Osgimel is the one that's most dangerous and, and susceptible to falling into duality, so it needs that extra hook. It needs that Koach of Rabbi Akiva, who is Doresh, Kisrei Osios and the Tage Tagen to recognize that even there we find Kedusha. Ekev <clears throat> HaGimel, the heel of the Gimel, Shebetoar Yud, that looks like the Yud on the bottom left. That a thin and delicate connection connects this Yud at the bottom to the Vav. <clears throat> looks to us, and if you look at the letter, it looks like the hoof, it looks like the foot of an animal. It, it, it imagines, it conjures up this image for us of the regular and thick-legged animals, that is expressed in the image of the camel. Gimel and gamal, again, are going to be the same word. 
gamal, this camel, which represents this thickened animal, which represents the entry into a place of the midbar, into concealment, into heaviness. And Rav Kuk goes on to say, the, the image of physical heaviness, the camel carrying its weight and thirsty and carrying all the burdens of the people traveling in the desert. The akamutava and heavy quantity, again, quantity being connected to multiplicity and numbers, which is already a movement away from unity. So the, the gimel, or the bottom part of the gimel, the foot, the hoof of the gimel, that yud that pokes out from the bottom of the vav, for of kuk represents the camel. This vehicle, if you will, that transitions from unity into multiplicity and into separation. Here by the Os Gimel is the only place and the first place within the Aleph base, after Aleph and Bays, that the, ga- the camel and the Gimel finds its place to represent itself. Why? Why do we find here by the Os Gimel, by the real expression of Kalim that are going to contain the light so that we can properly choose to find the light within the concealment? Why is it that that's synonymous or equivalent to the heaviness of the camel? And this, Rav Kuk, goes back on what we discussed last week, where it's not a cause and effect wherein Hashem conceals his light and only then we find concealment, but rather the concealment of the light is the concealment itself, that the removal of the light is the giloy of the kalim themselves. And Rav Kuk says it explicitly here. Because the degrading and the descent of the levels from Aleph to base to Gimel is in and of itself the cause of the manifestation of the of matter and kalim. Geniza sa'ekus the concealment of quality in its truest form, in the unified sense of quality, in the philosophical sense that the Rambam talks about it, the concealment of that quality is in and of itself the revelation of quantity, the revelation of difference. Shikiata ora, the setting of the sun, is what forms the darkness. It's not that without the sun, ah, then we find darkness, but the descent of the sun into concealment is in and of itself the birth of darkness. The degradation and the descent of levels from Aleph to Bez and the formation of the Kli for the sake of Bechira that we find in the Os Gimel is exactly what causes the heaviness of the Gamal, the heaviness of the camel. The Hagaron and the descent and the degradation and the subtraction and here Rav Kook is saying something profound that we don't even have nearly enough time to begin to discuss, but this descent of levels, this degradation into concealment from one to two to three, brings in its wake an addition. It brings in its wake a deeper sense of multiplicity. Now we're going to have four and five and six, and numbers that are adding upon themselves, complicating and concealing the simple unity. Here we find something deeply Rabbi Nachman-esque within Rav Kook, that the tachlis and the achtus is pashtus, that the one is pashut. Anything past the one, anything past the aleph is already the beginning of complications. And this complication of being this bakshu chashronos rabos, this mistaken sense that we have that we need the complications in order to satisfy ourselves, hagaron meviyas it's rooted in the garon, it's rooted in the, in the lack, in the descent from unity. Shakol hamosif goreya, that anybody who adds is in fact attracting, because by adding we separate the simple unity that exists. But Rav Kuk goes on and ends this letter with something very important. He says, although 
the descent of the levels and the manifestation of Orot and Kalim for the sake of Bechira, for the Mishkal, for the Mitkala, for the Mishpat, for there to be Mida Bemida of Ra and Tov and an Eitzadas, Tov Ra, Vechule, Vechule, and all of those things that are necessary to prepare human beings to be able to act on the stage of creation through their own volition, which implies a certain necessity of failure. In Sadiq Barat Sashar Yasatovala that this Yerida, Hayerida Hazos, this descent, this descent, this degradation, this moving away from unity into multiplicity, into concealment, this moving away from or where there's no Bechira, into the space of Choshech where there is Bechira, this Nesira, this separation which at first seems like a traumatic surgical removal from a dependent relationship towards a more mature, separate, yet independent and fundamentally deeper relationship, brings with it a much deeper expression, an expression that the clear, the clarified thought, that all-encompassing thought, that infinite thought of the Aleph and Bez would not have allowed to be revealed. There needs to be a concealment, like we said, of the or so that there can be a revelation of Metzius. If the or is too strong, then Metzius has no place to exist. The symptom was only for the sake of revealing existence. So the Gimel allows us now to be metapel, to operate on a space or a field in creation where we can actually now engage. So this Yerida brings with it something that would have been unexpressible beforehand. It brings with it the capacity of Bechira. It brings with it the capacity of failure and in turn success. It brings with it the capacity of Sveikos and in turn a deeper level of Vade from within the Sveikos. It brings the possibility of Ra, but it also gives us the ability to transform and be metkafe and be metapech the Ra into Tov, like the Balatanya says. It gives us the ability to transform the Meriru into Matiku, to be the Balechuva who operate within the space of concealment, Dafka there, to show that Afal Pikain, even though it's Hastir Astir, and I'm screaming, I am a Kom Kavodo, even there in the Tachtis Atachtios, in the space of separation, I can still reveal HaKadosh Baruch who's something that would have been utterly impossible had Hashem not concealed himself. Gay, depth, omek, mal, dibor, speech. Rav Kook here is breaking up the word gimel. He's saying gay, which means depth or gehinom, the, the descent, the depths, which means intensity and experience and negativity and concealment, mal, language, speaking. Only through this amkas, only through this descent, only through this degradation of levels do we come to a place of actually beginning to open our mouths. Like we said, by the Aleph, there's no speech, there's only translation. It's too incomprehensible to open our mouths. By the Bays, we begin to get a sense that we can say something, that we're our own individualized creature. By the Gimel, we actually begin to be able to speak. We're now nigmal. We're now removed and weaned off of our mothers, off of that infantile sense of spirituality. And now we actually have the ability to say something. Ke'en ha-chashmal, and Rav Kook here is utilizing Kabbalistic Lashon, the chashmal that Yecheskel Hanavi saw, the Klipa Sanoga, which is like the Baal Shem Tov and Sadiqim tell us, chash and mal, silence and speak. It's contained within one, that this chash, this chashut, this silence, which gives birth to speech. Itim chashot v'itchin mamlot. Times of silence and times of speech. 
I want to just spend a minute now, a minute, mamish, because I like keeping the shirim to 45 minutes, discussing other places that Rav Kook and other tzaddikim who learned from Rav Kook or Rav Kook may have learned from discuss this connection of the os gimel and the notion of the gamal and the notion of the camel, which represents a descent into midbariyut, into the desert exilic experience of concealment, yet allows for an elevation that comes afterwards. Like the shape of the camel, which is ups and downs, ups and downs, that when you think you're going up, it goes back down again, but that descent allows for a deeper ins- ascent afterwards. We find so often by the camels that we resort to the shiduchim of our avos and avos ha'olam. Now, for the sake of brevity, it would take a, a month to explain this, but Rav Kook in Olos Raya, in the back of Chelek Aleph, where he has his Kavanos for Purim, there's a famous teaching by the Rosh Kevos Megillah, where he describes that Megillah is the same osios as Legima, which is drinking, and it has a connection to the Os Gimel, and Rav Kook has an Arichus there, where he talks about the association of the camel and the legs of the camel and the avoda of the camel to the avoda of Purim. But like we said, suffice it to say that Purim is the Nasira, is the time of separation for the sake of a deeper connection, which is the same avoda of the camel, which is representative of the descent into exile for the sake of an eventual elevation out of exile. Rav Hutner, Rav Hutner Zatzal in, in Mamre Pachar Yitzchak on, on Sukkis, in Maimur Mem Zion, he says something as follows. He says, In the famous Rav Hutner-esque type of Lashon, that we can't refrain ourselves from revealing a certain gift here. Chazal have told us, Someone who sees a camel in their dream, That a person was punished with death from heaven, and he was saved from it. And this is in Brachos Nunvav. Gemara, the source in the Gemara for this notion is from the Pasuk Anochi Ered Imcha Mitzrayim of Anochi Alecha Gam Allah that I'm going to descend with you into exile I'm going to create Kalim, I'm going to create concealment, but don't worry I will also bring you out. And the Gemara goes on to say, according to Rashi that the reason we can learn this about the camel from this Pasuk is because the Pasuk Gam Allah also sounds like Gamal, because the camel, Rav Hutner says, represents this descent for the sake of Ascent. It represents the fact that in spite of the fact that there's an exile of Kalim and multiplicity, we still have the ability to return back. And last but not least, here we're going to be looking at a Rav Nachem Mendel of Shklov, Taman Mufak of the Vilna Gon, and a recently, not recent, a few years, printing of Biure Haramam to Osios. At the end of, uh, at the end of Os Gimel, he says as follows. He says, this is the secret of a person who sees a camel in their sleep, Misa Niknasa, that they've been punished with death and they've been saved from it. Like the Pasik says, Ain Marin Adam Libo, that a person in their dreams in a in a deeply Psycho, psychoanalytic type of interpretation, what a person sees in their dreams. I shouldn't say psychoanalytic. Freud, Freud took it from, from the Gemara. Freud took it from, from Chazal, and as Elliot Wolfson so beautifully depicts in his book on dreams. We only show a person in their dreams what they've thought during the day. And the secret of the dream is the removal of consciousness and the removal of spiritual awareness and wisdom. And doing anything with an actual conscious effort. And all that remains is the imagination. Show that remains connected to the individual and their source. And this camel, 
that a person sees represents the idea of gam, of also. That we've been able to transform the nachash, the snake, into the mata, like we know by Moshe Rabbeinu, the avoda of being mahapech, the nachash, into the mata, which according to the Vilna Gon was the deepest avoda of Moshe Rabbeinu to be mahapech tov and tara. And this Indian of Gam, which is the same osios in Gamal and Gimel, which is Gam Zulatova, that also this, that which appears to be a removal from the good is also good. And Nacham Ish Gamzu, Gamzu, also this, and Gam Charvona Zachar Latov. That Gam comes to show us that the addition, even that which seems like a descent, is in fact an ascent. And Rabban Gamliel, Rabban Gamliel was capable of saying, Gamliel, that Hashem is also for me. And all of this is deeply connected to the Osgimel and all the letters that follow, because this descent that we find now is only for the sake of an ascent. And the concealment that we're going to experience with the formation of the Osios all the way through Tuf are only there for us to deepen our experience and our connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu.